Welcome to the What If Podcast, where we rewrite sports past, present, and future. We're your hosts, Eddie, Jeet, Cameron, and Michael. Four lifelong friends, each with a unique perspective on sports. And find out, what if NIL was allowed in previous years? We just, I should probably address the people in the room here. Good afternoon or good evening or good morning whenever you're listening to this podcast. We are back with a new episode today. We're talking about NIL and the impacts that it has had and kind of a what if about what if it happened in previous years, who would have been able to take advantage of it and what would college athletics look like today? We had a nice discussion that really bounced around quite a bit. We spoke a long time about it. So good luck, Michael, on uh, editing that down. But uh, before we jump into the episode, I wanted to ask you guys a question. I just came off of a trip down to Arkansas. I went and saw the Arkansas-Kentucky basketball game this weekend. One of the funnest atmospheres I've ever been in, one of the loudest crowds I've ever been in. Arkansas came out with the win. I think they won by like two or something but it was one of the funnest games I've ever been to. So I wanted to ask you guys, what is the greatest game that you guys have ever witnessed in person? Or to add on to the question, maybe a game that you specifically wish that you would have gone to in person. I can start. So for me, the wildest game I've been to was when I was in India the year was about 2012, I think. I went and saw a soccer game there. This was actually the first ever professional soccer game I've been to. And it was between, it was basically the Real Madrid versus Barcelona of Indian soccer. So it was between two teams, Mohan Bagan and East Bengal. And there's this one Indian player who is probably the best Indian to have ever played. His name is Baichung Bhutia. He's played in Europe and pretty well regarded as the goat of Indian soccer. So he was play- that was like his last game to play. And the atmosphere in India was just insane because it's like, there are no rules. Um, fans are all over the place. There's a fence blocking the field from the stands. And then the fans are just climbing the fence and would watch from watch in like Spider-Man position. And then um, oh players, after they scored, they climbed the fence. <laughs> so it was wild. And it was also cool from a personal perspective because I got to see with my cousins and they live in India. That was like the first time I'd ever met them. So it was just a cool personal experience in that regard and just a cool sporting experience. Was it that players, was it a home game or was it an away game? It was like a neutral territory, a game. Yeah. I was wondering if he was going to be like well-received from the other team or since they're like big rivals. Maybe like Real Madrid with Messi or something. Ironically, he had played for both teams, I think. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) It was a bit of a controversial move. That sounds like an awesome game. You You went right to the top in Indian football, apparently. The best game you could have gone to. <laughs> Funny. Eddie, Mike, what do you guys got? 
Yeah, actually, I'm going to say two really quick. One of them actually involves all four of us. We graduated high school in the mid-2010s and at Bush Stadium in St. Louis, Missouri, where the St. Louis Cardinals play. Beautiful stadium. Manchester City and Chelsea came from England, kind of like a summer tour, getting ready for their actual season. And we got to go see the game. And it was, it was like a picturesque night. May night, soon after graduating, like lots of excitement. And we got to see, not granted, like some of the stars played probably like a half. And then like the subs come on, the youngsters, but it was 3-0, if I'm not mistaken. Chelsea winning in the first half. Manchester City, like 94th minute goal. I think it was Micah Richards. He comes in and he scores the winning goal, 4-3, to three, sunset, St. Louis, Missouri. Gorgeous, amazing friends. Like, what a time. And we have bird's eye view. Yeah, I remember Peter Cech was the goalie for Chelsea at that time. And he played in the first half and they subbed in I don't know who the poor guy was that they subbed in after, but then Man City put in all their dudes in in the second half, like Tevez and like all those guys, and he could not just stop anything. Oh my gosh. What a game, though. It was fun, for sure. What a time. My second one, it was actually my freshman year at the University of Missouri. Ironically, the only football game I ever went to there, and I love Mizzou football, basketball, Amazing season, one of the best we've had in program history at Mizzou. It was a homecoming game for South Carolina. It goes overtime. Like, this is nerve-wracking. It's October. It's mid-October. It's like 30, 40 degrees. We're all in the stands. Everyone's still at the game in overtime. It goes to double overtime, I think. And our kicker, from 25 yards out to tie the game to move to the next overtime, hits the upright. And you could feel the vibration from the upright. It was incredible. Obviously not in a great way as a Mizzou fan, but man, I will say the atmosphere is awesome. Painful that your most memorable game is a loss. <laughs> <laughs> I did say it's second, so maybe it's memorable. <laughs> Who knows? What about you, Eddie? I'd say... The best game that I went to was also a soccer game. I was in Berlin like three years ago for a class. So like there was a weekend where we had the opportunity to like do whatever. So people went elsewhere. And I was like one of the few people that stayed in Berlin. Everybody was going to different countries, but I stayed in Berlin. And I got a chance to watch the German Cup final, the Deutsche Pokal, I think that's what it's called. So it was like Bayern Munich and RB Leipzig. And that whole experience was just incredible. The game itself, it was one-sided. I mean, Bayern Munich, the best team in Germany, they won 3-0. But just the atmosphere going into the stadium, the stadium that hosted the 2006 World Cup final, I was just a neutral fan. And that was like my first professional like European soccer game to go to. And it was a final and just sitting with the fans of the losing team was pretty funny. But yeah, just that whole experience. I just kind of pinched myself. Like, I still don't think I did that, you know? Didn't know German, but like people were talking to me in, in German and I just said, no, English, broken English. I don't know. I can't remember what I said, but yeah, it was just, is the whole vibe. Very passionate fans. My goodness. Yeah, just the passion. You could just feel it. 
but yeah, I got sick like two days later, but it was all worth it. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Especially when you don't have a dog in the fight, like kind of like what you said too, G, where you're just like taking it all in. You're not worried about what happens in the game. Sometimes that's better. <laughs> you remember those a lot more. All right, I'll just close out mine. Uh, I went down to, we live down in Dallas. So my goal has been, I'm kind of running out of time now, uh, but one of my goals had been to go see all the big 12 stadiums. So I've been to six or seven of them now. So we're close to Waco. We're only like an hour and a half. So me and Caitlin and our friend Ashley and her boyfriend now, fiance and a couple of weeks husband, if you could follow that, we went down to the game where OU played Baylor. And it turned out that was the game where OU had the greatest comeback in their program history. They went down 28 to three. Was it 28 to three? Or is it, I don't remember what it was. They're down 25. So they came all the way back and Jalen Hurts was the quarterback, won the game. And so if you ever like look up Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma, the number one picture probably is him laying in a sea of Oklahoma fans at the OU Baylor game after the game. And we're like next to him because we actually were with CD Lamb. Uh, Caitlin like was like tapping him on the head. We were just like hanging out mm. with C.D. Lamb in the stands. We, I, we could never find a picture, unfortunately. But uh, I just remember that game was like that year we we're trying to go to college football playoff. You know, there's a lot right on the game. Baylor was undefeated, I think, at the time for me of one loss. So it was just like a huge game, biggest game Baylor's ever played kind of a thing. And we were in Baylor. So just, you know getting all the heat in the first half and then the table's turning and it's just, it was just like a slow methodical comeback. And we're just like, Oh, are we going to do it? Are we going to do it? And then we finally did it. And they got the stop at the end of the game. It was one of the most unbelievable games I've ever seen. So been a lot of great games, but that's one that definitely is at the top for sure. But anyways, we won't keep you guys any longer. Go enjoy the episode and leave us a rating if you really want to. Go have a good one and good luck out there. What's going on, everybody? Live here from Kansas City, where it was 80 degrees today after it snowed last week. Yeah, it was very interesting. But enough about the weather. This isn't the weather channel. This is the What If Sports Pod. We are talking today about the NIL. Uh, there's been a lot of talk this year since NIL has been allowed in college athletics. And so the topic I wanted to bring to the table for you guys today was what if the NIL was allowed in previous years? Obviously, it's had a huge impact so far. A lot of unknowns that are coming from it. And if you don't know what NIL is, it is name, image, and likeness. So essentially, a collegiate athlete can be paid now by an outside company, not by the school, by outside source as advertisement or you know brand deals, a bunch of other different stuff. So they can actually be paid like professional athletes based on their name, image, and likeness. Just some numbers I wanted to throw at you guys. This came out just this past summer, in the summer of 2021, right before the college football season started. 
that collegiate athletes were not allowed to be paid. So, for example, Bryce Young, before his season this year, he won the Heisman this year. But remember, this is his first year starting the quarterback at Alabama. He was making over a million dollars in NIL deals before the year even started. And that was according to Nick Saban. So we don't have any official numbers. Texas A&M on this past recruiting class, they've previously been in like the top 10 usually in recruiting classes for football. Haven't, you know, quite broken into the top five. Maybe, I, I don't know exact numbers, but I know they're pretty good at recruiting. But this past year, they had the greatest recruiting class ever. So these websites that do recruiting classes they rank all the recruiting classes and everything, and they have like a certain score. And so this year they had the best score ever out of any school, you know, your Alabamas and your Georgias and whoever else. They had seven five stars, which was a record. And it came out that their boosters had spent 25 to $30 million on this recruiting class alone through NIL for these recruits. Now keep in mind, these players have not played a down in college football. And they spent $30 million on what was ended up being 29 total recruits. So this is the kind of money that is getting thrown around for these collegiate athletes that are not even playing yet. Another one that came out was that Texas boosters are paying $50,000 to every lineman on scholarship. So you could be third string man. If you're getting a scholarship to play at Texas University and you're an offensive lineman, you're getting 50K in the bank. And then some other non-football ones, a lot has been said about a lot of other collegiate athletes, especially ones like Suni Lee, who was in the Olympics. She's an Olympic gold medalist. She has millions of followers on Instagram. And as you guys know, that's a huge platform for advertising. I saw something that said she could be making up to $30,000 per post on Instagram. And so that was like really big for, especially for the Olympic athletes that they were able to still go to college and still get paid because that wasn't the case before. Um, I think there was an Arkansas gymnastic girl who won gold in the 2012 Olympics. And so she got sponsored by like Frosted Flakes or like a cereal company or something. And so she wasn't actually allowed to go back and compete in college anymore. She had gotten a sponsorship deal. So now these athletes are able to go and still make a lot of money through advertising. Other sports, like, for example, OU softball is very dominant in the sport right now. So a lot of those girls have a lot of Instagram followers as well. And so obviously, you know, basketball, baseball, everything, a lot of players are getting some big time deals. I couldn't find like a ton about exact numbers on a lot of these deals, but these kids are making money. So it definitely changes the outcome of sports. So my first question for you guys, I wanted to jump right into the questions. You know, looking back, what athletes do you think could have taken the best advantage of these NIL deals? I had a few off the top of my head. Reggie Bush, obviously with getting his Heisman taken away, he got like a car and a house and stuff out in California. And that goes along with Matt Leinart being at USC. Vince Young at Texas, Adrian Peterson had to throw an OU boy in there, Bo Jackson, and then some basketball guys as well, like Zion, Derrick Rose, Blake Griffin. So those are a couple that I thought of. I didn't know if maybe you guys had some ideas on 
some guys that you would have been like, wow, those guys would have made a ton of money, guys or girls, I should say. I love this topic, Cameron. If I'm being honest, I actually added this kind of like a version of this, like NIL, like what if this happened in previous decades? I literally added it to like a possibility for a future podcast idea for me later in the season. So props to you for coming up with this one. Johnny Football, uh, good old Johnny Manziel came to mind. Yeah. The pay me symbol he would always do every time he'd score a touchdown. Yeah. There you go. There's a foreshadowing for what would come in the years <laughs> to come. I was kind of thinking like, these are all guys like USC, Texas, like Miami, probably in the 90s with football. I wonder about like small schools, like a guy like John Morant, when he was at Murray State, like, I mean, obviously Murray State is probably not too flush with cash compared to many other schools. Like, what would that look like? A guy like that incredible of a player, but at a very small school with like national places or places in the state reach out to him. So maybe Ja, kind of thinking like at a small school. Yeah, I think with Ja, you bring an interesting point. Something I just thought about was the transfer market is, it's interesting that the transfer market and NIL came about kind of at the same time. And so they're kind of blowing up with each other, but they're very connected sometimes. Like for example, as you know, I'm a big OU football fan. So Caleb Williams just enters the transfer portal. And they're essentially going around saying, what can you offer us to go to your school, right? He's a big-time freshman quarterback. He's a five-star kid. He's shown that he has a huge upside. So now they're going around to these schools and they're like, what are you going to pay me to go to your school now? Like, I've proven that I can play in college football. So like a kid like John Morant is at a really tiny school in Murray State. And all of a sudden, like, Duke comes calling and is just like, hey, we really like you. You can really make some money. Like our boosters can really help you guys out. You want to come over to Duke or, you know, like does that affect like the small schools like that? But Eddie, Jeet, you guys uh, have any ideas? I think it affects a lot of the, you know, how there are a lot of high school basketball players with huge Instagram followings. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of them are going to be most affected. But then I guess it's kind of interesting that NIL kind of correlates with social media and how they both are more prominent now than they were back in the day. So I wonder if NIL existed in a time before social media, would it have the same effect? I'm not sure that it would, because that's how a lot of how these brands make their money off advertising these people's faces. So I think it would have a less effect than it does today. But it would still, like you said, attract more top-end talent to top-end schools. Like, you probably wouldn't see as much of a person like Ja going to a smaller school. So, in terms of a specific name that I'm thinking of, I don't really have one off the top of my head. But I feel like for basketball, the name that pops into mind is Carmelo Anthony. Just because yeah. I feel like he was such a big star in college basketball and won a championship. So I feel like he is someone who was like a legitimate star when he was in college basketball. And I think he would probably profit pretty well from it. Yeah, you bring up an interesting point as well there, G, with social media being a huge part of it. Because, I mean, you don't really see like, for example, a Suni Lee with her Instagram following. Like, you don't see that in 2005. 
right? You probably never have heard of her before unless you saw her at the Olympics. But instead, right now, she has hundreds of thousands of teenage girls and middle-aged women and stuff that follow her and are interested in what she does in the morning and, you know, how she prepares and what her practices look like that, you know, that are also into gymnastics or whatever it may be that you just wouldn't get in 2005. So there's probably a big dynamic of those football players. They probably, you know, they get their faces on commercials and stuff and maybe they're like show their face in like local places, but those other sports maybe don't get as much attention for sure. Yeah, this is a, it's a good question. So the first athlete that came to my mind that I think would have benefited from NIL, Greg Oden. Like right when you were saying that question, I just thought Greg Oden, because for those of you who don't know, Greg Oden was a Ohio State center. He was very good from what I remember. I think he played in like the mid 2000s. And what came of him? He was drafted in front of Kevin Durant, if I remember right. Is that right? Yeah. Isn't that the same draft? Shoot, you might be right. Yeah, I think Michael is giving the okay. That's a reliable source right there. Um, so yeah, you know, we know what came of him. You know, he was drafted first overall, and then just injuries just plagued him. And I think he would have benefited because, from what I recall, you know, he was a big name in college basketball, and he was touted to be a huge success in the NBA. By him benefiting from NIL. I don't think his legacy now would be as sad as it is today because he didn't benefit monetarily while playing in college basketball. I think the fact that if he benefited monetarily, then, you know, one would say that I don't think there would be that much pressure to perform in the NBA. And, you know, that's what, that's a downside of NIL. The fact that people won't be able to have that same motivation if they were to advance to the professional leagues. But I think in his case, him being so injury plagued, you know, it wouldn't it wouldn't be deemed as a negative career. So I think NIL would have benefited those athletes that didn't really make the transition to professional league. Tim Tebow, potentially. Oh man. hundred um, percent. So but I mean like the way how Tim Tebow is viewed now, I think he's made a name for himself in the journalism sphere mm-hmm. um, as a reporter. He's got that going for him. And he tried baseball a little bit, but I don't think his career is looked at as as negatively as Greg Oden. Yeah, can you imagine with Tim Tebow, he goes out, he wins the Heisman, and then he wins the national championship. I think, did he come back that next year too? I can't remember. But that dude would have been breaking it in for sure. Yeah. Okay, I want to jump to the next question here because I brought up the Texas A&M part of it. All of a sudden, they have the best recruiting class ever. And there was a really funny clip of Jimbo Fisher acting like that money wasn't like a part of the deal. He was like, well, you're shaming all of our coaches and their hard work. And it's just like, well, like your coaches weren't pulling in seven, five stars before. Like, why would they be doing that now? Kind of a thing. But anyways, I wanted to ask, Do you think the landscape of college athletics would look different today if this had been passed a long time ago? Maybe different teams, maybe conferences looking different, maybe certain sports being more popular than others. Absolutely. A hundred percent, Cameron. I wanted to say a few names if I could. 
that really is your first question that I want to dive into your second. I remember like Brittany Griner from Baylor, like massive. Maya yeah. Moore, UConn. I was trying to think of like the non-traditional, like big sports that were making lots of money. Like Steven Strasburg, I think went to San Diego State. He was a phenom. So Eddie, you bring up a great point. Like professional careers for athletes, like the LeBron James, that is the anomaly. The Tom Brady is the anomaly. Unfortunately, for an amazing talent like Greg Oden, it was only so long. And it kind of gives them that extra amount of time to capitalize on their ability to compete on the field in college and or professionally, but mostly in college now, Uh, especially for college football. You have to stay three years before you go to the draft. You're not going overseas to play college football. Capitalizing on your ability to profit right then and there, I think is only a plus to kind of give these guys and these women like just kind of like that cushion. I was kind of thinking, Cameron, to your second question, like history, man, there's so much more autonomy in regards to conferences, team, maybe teams instead of conferences. Like, I feel like with conference realignment, like Oklahoma, Texas, Cameron, like, I know you're very invested in that. Like, there is a huge monetary component to that. And them going with to the SEC and really just jumping into that. That is money. That's autonomy from these schools. Same thing with players, NIL, transferability, like they're really capitalizing on their ability. But this happened decades ago. You know, I think this wave of autonomy from schools, universities, and individual players would just be that far along in the trajectory. You know, it's not that new. And what's to say, like, it takes another step forward in 10 years. So I think history and tradition is not as much as a priority and kind of sticking to the status quo and These are students first, student athletes. But these are athletes who are performing on the biggest stages. And they're bringing in lots of money for their schools and their conferences. And now a step towards autonomy, taking advantage of that. You know, NIL is doing that. We'll see what happens in the next 10, 20, 30 years. But I think it's kind of stepping away from the status quo of respecting history respecting what's come before and not changing the status quo and just having a more open mindset to everything. For sure. I wonder how it affects different positions. Like you talked about the linemen getting a little boost, but would like less glamorous positions, of course, the quarterbacks and the like star small forwards are going to get their money, but then how well compensated are the lesser known positions and would they because what i'm thinking is if nil was around in the past decades and then you have a lot of money coming in then is it more profitable to be a third string offensive lineman than like a wrestler or something like would you see more of a migration to the bigger sports and less of these athletes like a lot of these athletes probably have their choice of different programs and Like, would you rather be a a third string lineman at Iowa? No offense to them. Well, actually, that's a big program. But like, at like a a smaller school, or would you rather be the number one wrestler at Michigan State? There you go. So yeah, I guess that's what I'm wondering, like how, like, there's definitely going to be a differential in terms of power and which programs have more pull and can offer more money. But I'd be interested to learn about 
what the differential is between positions and different sports and how that might affect the balance of where people go to. Ooh, I didn't think about that, Jeep. Yeah, you could completely change the game on what the kids would be more interested in growing up and like maybe what their parents might push them towards. Yeah, like you could go and wrestle, but you could make a million dollars in college. Like you can make 50K if you played lineman at Texas. So very interesting for sure. The first thing that came to my mind was Miami and thinking about like, I don't know if you guys watched like the 30, do what? Miami University of Ohio. Like just. Yeah, yeah. uh Uh-huh. Nice. Yeah, Ben Roethlisberger. Yep. Also, my uncle played hockey there, so, you know. Hey. But (laughs) I think about, I I don't know if you guys have watched the 30 for 30, like the U and how much, like how crazy that was, like coming up through the 80s and 90s and how much momentum that they had. And then whenever all those sanctions came down so hard on them for everything that was going on, I know there was like some other stuff like prostitute type stuff maybe some drugs i'm not quite sure what all was going on down there but there certainly was a lot of money flowing to these college players i'm curious to see like if these laws were allowed and miami was cruising along through all those years of the whole you mentality like if that's like barreling into the 2000s and into social media like miami would be insane but, you know, they've really taken a hit from all those sanctions that they've had throughout the years and, and haven't quite gotten back to that level yet. But I wonder if that opens the door for them. I don't know if it's too far gone now. I think that's also kind of interesting because I don't know how this looks yet, but going forward, we're definitely going to see people abuse the system, the NIL system like black market stuff, under the table deals, more so than they're already happening. And so what would that have looked like if it had already been happening and which colleges would be perpetrating these less savory things? Like I'm sure that the bigger schools are going to get away with more and they're going to probably try more and probably have more leeway, but I'm interested to see where Like it feels like the wild west of NIL right now, but at some point there's going to be a tipping point where there's going to be more regulations and more sanctions and stuff like that. So I'm interested to see where that goes and how that would have played a role if it had been around in the past. Well, Jeet, that's crazy that you asked that because that's a great segue in my last question. That is... Where do you think NIL goes from here and will it be able to sustain these monstrous numbers? Because I had that same exact thought. I was looking at an article talking about Texas A&M and how much money they're spending. And one of the things that is popping up across the country now is what's called collectives. And something, I, I can't remember if it was a podcast I was listening to, said that collectives are kind of similar to what like super PACs are to politics where these groups will have a target recruit or transfer whoever it is and they create like a a small group and they create an LLC out of it and that's where all the money goes and then that LLC will sponsor whoever the player is and then they will post 
things talking about the LLC or having like a signing autograph set up one day where he gets paid to sit there and sign autographs and the LLC will sponsor it kind of a thing. So very interesting stuff, very borderline shady business operations happening. So kind of wanted to see what you guys thought about all these guys getting all this money who haven't played a snap and, you know, will that continue or will everything settle down and they pay people maybe who actually play? I don't know. What do you guys think? There's a lot to unpack there, Cameron, in the sense of like, it could be taken advantage of because it's so unregulated at the moment NIL because everyone is trying to figure out what exactly this means. Like, if there's a player who is a five-star coach at Texas A&M, Florida, Alabama, USC, wherever, and they get injured, is there any regulation or are there any rules to say like, oh, you got injured for the year? Nah, we're, we're good. Like, we won't pay you anymore. And the role of like agents, like I was kind of thinking about this, like that could be a new market, like agents for college students through NIL. Like if someone were to understand the landscape of NIL, lawyer-wise, attorney-wise, there could be a Scott Boris of NIL, probably not too far in the future. Definitely. There would be a huge market for that, for sure. Agencies helping these college kids get money and helping them make decisions and speaking on behalf of them in a lot of these colleges and stuff, for sure. What do you think will happen, Cameron? How do you see NIL playing? What do you think its role will be? Part of me thinks that this is insanity and this will never continue. But the other part of me says, these people donate millions of dollars to specifically like the big schools. You're talking like SEC stadiums, like those guys make so much money off of just donations, right? Like these guys got money to spend. And now they can direct it towards getting the best players. But I do, it do makes me wonder when these kids come in and they get recruited and they come and they don't succeed, you know, what happens? Or one of those kids that those third string linemen, he never plays and they're just getting 50 grand to sit on the bench for four years, right? Like he's not good enough to get in. So I don't see that sustaining, but at the same time, like I said, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of unknowns, man. Like, but in the other part of it too, is that the NCAA has become essentially useless. They're completely powerless now that they've lost these court cases and everything in regards to this. So anytime that they're going to try to put limitations on what people can spend on these players, they're going to get sued. So it's kind of one of those things where the NCAA is kind of getting pushed out a little bit. And it concerns me because now there's nothing governing what's happening. Not that the NCAA was any good at that anyways, but like there's got to be some sort of limitation on creating a business to sponsor a kid, right? Like that's crazy to me. That's absolutely crazy. And spending millions of dollars. I mean, a lot of people are saying that $50,000 a year 
like a lot of linemen in the NFL don't get paid like that in advertising. Like why is a third string kid on Texas getting paid like that? So that's not sustainable. They're not getting their bucks worth for it. You know, there's no return for them. They're just throwing their money around now. So I kind of winded back and forth a little bit, but it's just crazy to think of the possibilities of where this could go. It could get really dangerous really fast. I think it already has, but. Yeah, that point that you made about, like, I think you were kind of touching on the impact that it would have on an athlete. And I think where you're going, or I can go there for you, is like mental health of an athlete. I think this will expose like a mental health crisis amongst athletes who are not performing to the amount of like money that they're earning. I think this might open a lot of instances where, because there's already social media abuse, you know, going on targeting athletes for poor performance. But the fact that they're earning money now I think there's going to be greater chances of them receiving abuse. So, yeah, so that's one thing. Yeah. And I think because of that, one thing that would sort of offset that is probably there are going to be more social workers in sport. I don't have a social work background. So, yeah, social. And actually, this month is social work month. That's another one. So shout out to all the social workers out there. But yeah, if this is going to have to go through some regulations or some revamping to protect the athletes, there's going to be a mental health crisis and they need to figure out a way how to address that. So more social workers may be involved. Absolutely. Yeah, I have so much more I want to say. I'm, I want to say this. Cameron, you brought up a comic book reference and our last podcast episode, and I loved it. So I'm going to return the favor, my friend. For those who have not watched Loki, the TV show on Disney+, Plus, spoilers ahead. Long story short, there's an entity that was in place, he who remains, who was kind of in charge of the timeline for all the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Loki, and also another Loki, decided this guy is corrupt, even though he's kind of managing things, quote unquote, the NCAA, and they killed he who remains. So he's not remaining anymore if you catch my drift. But then it opens up this can of worms where in the moment, it was the right, quote unquote, decision to make. But, you know, you go down the timeline, figuratively and literally, maybe that was the wrong decision to make because you open up a can of worms that you do not know the consequences of it could be way worse by the way way worse than whatever that person was yeah absolutely so i agree like is this sustainable or shoot we're only like a year or two in you know i think we've really touched upon and i think importantly so like the focus is not so much on the schools anymore hey i'm going to donate five million to the athletic department for the university of missouri you know, that's on the entity of the organ or the university, the coaches, not so much the players. You start funding the players directly and paying them through an IL, those expectations go through the roof. 
mental health, I think totally right idea. Like that's going to become a huge concern. And also like, it's not sustainable as a program. If Texas A&M has a 10 win and two loss season, is that going to be justified? Is that going to be enough? Is Jimbo Fisher going to be fired after that kind of season because of what's expected of him? And then these big universities across the nation, same thing. There are only so many winners in college football. You know, it's not like a business like you can't succeed with others succeeding as well college football you have one champion what's the expectation when you raise 35 million through nil for players it's probably a national championship and how many schools are gonna be doing that yeah i agree i think everyone here seems to be saying that this seems to be opening the door for some type of abuse mostly of the athletes the people, ironically, who are benefiting a lot from this, but also sacrificing a lot in terms of their own agency and what they can do. Like, if someone pays you $50,000, they kind of have control over you. They're probably going to try to control what you say, like what you post on social media, who you talk to, who you hang out with. Like, they're going to have a lot more power over you. And you're going to have to do it if you want to keep that money. So I think this does open up a lot of areas for abuse where these like big agencies that are paying for these contracts and NIL stuff are going to be able to have a lot of power over these athletes. And it's kind of like signing a deal with the devil. Like, is it worth the money of getting that money? But then you are beholden to these figures who don't have your best interests in mind for sure. Like they just want the money. They just want the schools to prosper. And even the schools probably don't have the students' best interests in mind. So it's a shady area. It's going to be a mess, I feel. <laughs> to, to add on what you're saying, Gene, have you guys ever seen the, this is the second 30 for 30 that I have brought up, but have you ever seen the one called Broke? Well, I don't know if that's what it's called, but it talks about a lot of the athletes that go pro. You hear about like the massive deals, like your Patrick Mahomes and Bryce Harper, and like, you know, you get like all that money and whatever. but there's a very, very high percentage of players that are just living on the streets right now broke because they didn't know how to manage their money. And a lot of it comes from their friends and their family that are piling on and essentially trying to mooch off of whoever it is that's successful. Kind of one of those things where, oh, you are big now. You said that you would remember us. Like now it's your time to give back. And so these kids that are growing up, they feel like they have to give back a lot. Like that's a, that's a big part of a lot of these professional athletes. They end up going broke because they don't know how to manage that and manage those expectations and say no to these people, you know, when they're the ones earning the money. So that makes me think like, okay, those are 22 year old kids. Now we're talking about 17, 18 year old kids. And even when you're talking about Olympic athletes, I mean, 15, maybe, who are making lots of money and are going to be put into these situations where they're going to have to answer their grandma needs a new car, their brother needs a place to stay, you know, like all these different things where previously they were just trying to go to class and make their workouts on time, right? Like now we're worried about advertising and money and how to manage all of that. It's uh, it's gonna be crazy, man. It's these poor kids are gonna have a tough time. I can't imagine what it's like trying to coach and recruit kids like that. So, 
anything else you guys want to add before we wrap up? I think you're right, Cameron. Like financial literacy, like I know major league baseball. I don't know why I said that. Sorry, I was gonna say major league leagues like NFL, NBA, major league baseball then too. Like they've done better over time with financial literacy for the rookies, right? But now we're talking a lot younger. And how is that gonna look like with university students? under 18 Olympic athletes. I think that's a great point. Like, you know, this happens a lot with like families and friends, like expecting that money because of their support. I hope they get the support they need and understanding like how to approach those conversations. I also think like just, you know, random thoughts, NFL running backs, typically they're pretty low in the tonal pool in regards to, hey, they are easily replaced. I feel like a plus with NIL is, you know, in college, the star running back, maybe they get a little more incentives. Something you said earlier reminded me kind of what we talked about last episode, Michael, in regards to international growth in sports. Was that your topic, Michael? Yeah. So it made me wonder about like, you know how a lot of kids now have been going to the G League? They've been going overseas and playing. We kind of talked about that a little bit and how that's interesting with the international growth, how, you know, a lot of kids go overseas and play. Well, now, do you think that with NIL being so big, like a big name player, like for instance, Luca coming out of Spain, he was huge, right? He was 17. He was playing the pro Spanish league. Like, would he be making more money going to play at North Carolina and getting a $1 million NIL deal to play at North Carolina or Ohio state or Michigan, wherever it may be, you know, some of these kids and like, especially some of these kids who maybe aren't as good as like your LeBron James's or Kevin Garnett's coming out of high school. Like maybe you go to college and get that NIL deal at that big school now, as opposed to going to the G league or overseas or something. Yeah, I think that will, that will happen. All right. Well, on that note, we will wrap up the episode. It's a pretty good one here. We've talked for a long time, but thank you guys for listening and we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the What If Podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you'll know when we release a new episode. And check out our social media pages on Instagram and Twitter at WhatIfPodSTL. Again, that's at what if pod STL. Stay tuned as we continue to reimagine the world of sports. Enough about the weather. This isn't the weather channel. This is the what if sports pod. The What If Podcast, produced by Michael Kelly.